The Creative Business Podcast is brought to you by Nusi. Online proposals made simple for creative businesses. Visit Nusi.com to learn how your business can start winning more projects today. Hello and welcome to the Creative Business Podcast, the podcast that aims to help you build a better, more successful business. And today you can probably see something is ever so slightly different. You can actually see us. So I'm Nathan, and I'm, as always, I'm joined by Marcus. I'm Marcus. This is, this is, this is really quite surreal, which is funny because years ago, we, we actually started doing videos together anyway, didn't we? And we, we got some interviews up there and talking yeah. about proposals and getting to know your clients and everything. So yeah, it shouldn't be so weird. It just feels a little bit strange because we always just record audio only. I know, I know. And if you, if you, uh, now Nathan, let's do this. So this audio is going to go to the podcast, right? So that yes, people can still yes, find that's, us that, there. That, that's a very good point, Marcus. So this will be the podcast, but this will also be available in a in a video format. Maybe you're not about podcasts. Maybe you just prefer to have you know video run in the background. So it's more of an experiment than anything. And maybe we'll put this up on a new YouTube channel, possibly give it a name and and uh, or or the same with the same name. We'll see, but we'll let people know where they can find the video. Or maybe this video will never come out, and you'll just be listening to it on the podcast, wondering where's that video they were talking about. That's right. Now, now, Nathan, before we start, I see your stump. I see your hand in a cast, and so yeah, there. Oh, that my looks- claw. My that claw. is brutal. Your claw. You literally have about an inch range of motion. Yeah, yeah, I've literally got these two fingers and then it just this hooks around. I don't know if you can see behind me. I got my, my training bike there and I've literally just bought some bars, some um, triathlon bars to go on the front now so at least I can lean because ah. uh, I can't even grip onto the handlebars oh. at the moment. So Oh, terrible. How long are you going to be in the cast? I've got my first follow-up meeting next week, next Thursday with the, the hospital to see how it's healing. And then I reckon two or three weeks. So it's still a good while. Unfortunately, but uh, it could be worse. It could have been in the summer, and the summer in in Spain with this on would not have been particularly pleasant. No, so, no, no, it's okay. Oh. So, how are you anyway? You were you were telling me just before we went online that you had literally you were traveling all day yesterday for for you know a big deal, right? I I, uh, I spoke at my first. Uh, I mean, it's funny. I've done workshops. I do public workshops, and we do in-house trainings, but this was my first conference I'd spoken at, and it was called the Austin, Texas CTO Summit. Great little conference, about 125 people there, really smart CTOs. I mean, like IBM fellows spoke, and people, who, the guy who was the VP of, uh, of at Amazon over Amazon Business, I mean, really smart people, and then there was me. And so, uh, <laughs> if nothing else, I provided a contrast. Maybe my goal was to help other people look smarter. But, you know, at the end of the day, I really enjoyed it. And they were so kind and nice. Uh, I can't wait to do it again. I'm sure it was fantastic. I'm sure it was. And, and as I just, for those who are listening, obviously, I said to Marcus before we came online that actually Marcus doesn't listen back to any of these po- podcasts. None of them. Are I we going to tell all, all the secrets this episode? I listen, I, li- I listen to all of them and sometimes more than once. First of all, I listen to them always at least once to check that there's there's nothing going out that we don't want to be going out but then sometimes i'm just vain like that and i like the sound of my own voice and uh basically marcus and myself laughing at each other's jokes (laughs) 
you know, I I want to just tell you thank you for listening to them each 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 one of them and making sure they're ready for the audience. I can barely read what I write, not because I can't read, but because I can't stand it. So this is an area I can use to improve. Um, but but let's move past my own problems. Speaking of improving, speaking of improving. So basically, we had the idea this week that we ha- in the past have spoken about topics that will help you to obviously improve your business. But of course, none of that can really happen until you have that business in place in the first place. So we wanted to take a step back, bearing in mind that, you know, Marcus and I have been sort of talking for three years, maybe years, about yeah. sort of proposals every now and mm-hmm. again. You know, obviously, I, I, I run Nusi, which is proposal software. and we get so many emails saying, look, it's all fine and dandy you talking about how to improve your business, but you know, let's let's get that business through the door in the first place. So we're going to take a look at actually how we go about that. I've been privy to so many conversations now over the last few years about my proposal. Why isn't my proposal getting accepted? You know, what's going wrong? Why, why aren't I even hearing back, you know, from my clients? So we've taken all these common areas, shall we say, that sometimes people struggle with when it comes to the proposals, when it comes to actually closing the deal, that we are going to try and shoehorn them all into one episode. It may end up being a bit lengthy. It may not. We may have to gloss over a few items, but we'll do our very best. So basically, this is our everything you can do to give yourself the best possible chance of winning of winning that next proposal. These are in no particular order, okay, because there are, there are just so many areas we, we could look at. What I would put as my first, as my number one, making the proposal all about you instead of about your client. And what do I mean yeah. by making the pros- proposal yeah. all about me is we generally tend to sell our services, sell what we do, try and push how good we are at something. That's now, like Nathan, the- hold, hold on, I'm gonna interrupt go on. you here. Go, go, go. Because there was a slight cutout and I wanna make sure I understand what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Are you saying that we should make our proposals all about us? Oh, sorry. No, that we should not. A proposal should not be all about us, our business, our skills, how good we are, and what we can do. Because okay. at the end of the day, what the end client is interested in is, can you help me improve my business? And I think the go-to stance, shall we say, on many agencies, on many agency websites, freelance websites, whatever kind of firm you are, is, you know, we talk about ourselves, we talk about what we've done, we talk about what we can do and how good we are. This client loved us, that client loved us. And, you know, that is a very natural place to be. It's not really the best place to begin when you're sending out a proposal. I mean, what are, you, what are your thoughts on that, Mark? Because you were, you were working, well, you were running your own very successful agency for years. How, how did that approach work out for you? Oh, well, it, 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 it's very self-serving. I mean, when all you know is design or code, you get really into it. You get good at it, right? And you compare yourself with other people. You read so many articles. You become obsessed with it. And yet, when you talk to a client, in some ways, it can be a little discouraging because you want to tell them how great the tech or how great your software process or how great your design and how, how modern things are and or the new state of Facebook ads. You want to tell them about all that, hoping to build credibility and authority. I think that's why we do it. We want to show them we're the expert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But for us, for us at least, what we found is our clients would look at us and go, I don't really care what tools you use. Will you be able to actually help me or... Do we have to talk a lot about you and what how you feel good about your your work? 
at the conference, somebody used this analogy. They said, a programmer, like imagine that you're in a construction business and you have to drill a hole in the wall. The programmer is obsessed with the drill. They all, they're so excited about, oh, this brand of drill, how many horsepower, <laughs> look at my new drill, it's got no battery, it's got or whatever. The designer is so excited about the whole, like, look how round it is, look what size it is. And the business and the person who owns the house is, just says, why do we need a hole there? <laughs> What's what function the point is going to serve? Yeah, right. Exactly. So, you know, I don't even think we can. I used to hear people like say, "Sell the hole, not the drill," but I think you've got to sell the reason, and that comes back to really knowing your client. That is it completely. Selling the reason, and actually, this is this was something else on my list. It was knowing the why behind the business, the why yeah. behind the proposal, the why behind the outreach. The why behind everything, anything any client ever asks you for, there is always 5, 10, 15, 20 whys or other reasons behind that. But that's that's that's, that's another thing. We, we, we can get to that a little bit later. So I think oftentimes, certainly people who are perhaps, shall we say, newer to the proposal process will get that email in their inbox. They get very excited. Potential new job on the horizon, exciting new company. It looks like it's going to be awesome. They'll just rush to get something together and get it out the door. And they don't actually know anything about that business. Even if they do go and check them out on Google or LinkedIn and see who they are, they don't know anything about the business. They don't really know anything about the problem. They don't really know how they can help them. So I always look at it as there is a problem, there is a solution, there is a cost associated to that solution, and there is a desired outcome from that. And how are you going to achieve those four elements especially if you have no clue what it is that they actually want in the first place. And I, you've spoken about this before, is about the solution is not generally the solution, right? It's not generally, we tend to jump to what we think the solution might be. Right. And oftentimes, you know, what is, you know, again, construction, a guy with a hammer thinks everything is a nail, even a screw, which by the way, is a really bad construction technique. Um, and, and I did this too. In fact, if you're curious, if you're doing this, like one way you could find out, you could read a past proposal, but you could also just look at your own website. If your website talks all about you, your tools, if it talks all about your tech, if it talks all about how beautiful your design is, if it's all about you, then maybe you ha generally in your business have too much of an inward focus and not enough of a problem-solving outcomes focus. Mm -hmm. I think you're right, Nathan, because I love that, that you kind of structured it that way. Let's walk through it again. It was problem, solution, cost. Cost associated to that solution. And then outcomes. And that outcomes. Almost, is that is that kind of your what you would recommend as a as a proposal template almost that they need those four sections? I think so. Yeah, I would. Those are definitely the areas that you need to cover within a, any given proposal. And some people actually, and I've I've had this more recently, asking about cover letters with regards to proposals. And while I, in theory, I have nothing against a cover letter, my go to method for a cover letter is actually to cover all of that in a proposal. You know, yeah. I'm not I'm not introducing myself. I've already established a relationship with this potential client. I don't send out proposals willy-nilly, you know, just I see someone online, I, I scrape their email and their company data and send out a proposal and, you know, cross my fingers. I always try and establish some sort of minimal relationship and get to know as much about them as I can before anything goes out the door. 
What was I talking about there? I, I totally You were talking that. about these cover letters, but you're going to cover it the in cover the body letter, of the exactly. proposal. And, and so all of that, every you know, who I am, you already know, hopefully, how I can help you, hopefully we've already discussed, but I'm certainly going to put that forward in the proposal as well. The associated cost to that and everything, everything that I, or rather other people would include in the cover letter for me is, you know, presented it in a proposal format. Kind of seems irrelevant, at least to me anyway, so... It's interesting. I'm curious on this. Do you respond? Well, so when you had your company, did you ever get cold RFPs? I don't know if that happens yeah. in Europe, but and yeah, and we still get them now all the time, even for Nusi now. You have all no relationship, time. right? You and just I can give this- I can I can give you the exact format now for ninety nine point nine 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 recurring percent of those that come through. Hi there, no name. Um, <laughs> that's a that's a key. That's hi, a, a, hi there, or hello, and whatever insert the business name is is never you know it's always a software development company. Always, I can help you expand your business in this area, and then they would list like this all the technical uh, areas and software languages they are skilled in, and then say if you need any help with any future projects reach out to us. So not a proposal, but certainly an outreach email with the hope that right. we will come on board with that. And it's, it's the same thing for me. It's how are you ever going to sort of wheel me in just listing out your skills? And no, yeah. no, 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 no. Here in the States, the RFP actually represents the inverse of that. It's kind of interesting. Sure, it sure, is sure, the, sure, yeah. Yeah, you probably, I was curious, have, have you ever gotten like, like a big client, a big enterprise, important fancy people will put together a 400 page document or, or maybe it's just like a 60 page and they'll send it out, they'll blast it out to only, 20 vendors. Only 60 pages. Yeah. And, or maybe it's two pages and it will be like, we want a website. Please give us your bid, right? Or we want a new logo. Um, I never respond. I used to respond to RFPs, but within about two years, I stopped because of the same exact thing you said. There's no relationship. There's no getting to know anybody. And they they just want to evaluate on price. So for me, we found responding and spending a lot of time on RFPs were a waste of time. Uh, but I want to ask you, you're an expert on proposals, Nathan, so I'm just going to swing this right back around. Let's talk about that problem. Maybe the proposal should talk about the problem. Mm-hmm. What's important about the problem section of a proposal? Kind of what are the key elements of it, do you think? Well, the problem, usually the problem that your client comes to you for in the first place, it's very rare that that ends up being the actual problem. So... So to get there, very true. So to get there, you need to spend. This is why you can't just send out proposals. To get there, well, you can, and you might even get the job, but you won't. You won't solve the problem, and which means you'll never get work from them again. So if you, you might want, solve your problem, which is to get work, exactly. But you probably won't solve their problem. If you want to be a you know a recognized firm, company, designer, agency that is constantly getting referrals and repeat work, then. It's essential. So you need to be talking to this customer to actually get to the root of the problem. Because like I said, they might come to you saying that uh, we need a a website redesign uh, because it hasn't been updated for the past five years. And for many people, that might be a good enough reason for them to begin a project. Fine, no problem. I can create a proposal for you. It's going to cost you X amount of dollars. And and that's fine. But of course, there'll be many more reasons behind why they actually need a a new website. And those could be 
it could be anything. It could be, you know, the boss's wife turned around and made a snide com- remark about, wow, that website looks really cheesy now. When was that built? It could be something as simple as that. It could be that signups are dropping off because maybe they're using an, out- an outdated modal pop-up that simply isn't working on the majority of browsers anymore. And nobody has actually even realized that. There could be a multitude of reasons, which is why it's so important to interview your clients. We, we call them client interviews. We've written about this a lot. We've even got a book on it and client interviews. The questions you should be asking to be able to get enough information to actually know what the real problem is. Because before you can actually find out what the real problem is, you can't begin to offer any real solutions other than designing a website that looks great. Anyone can design a website that looks great, but if it doesn't solve the problem, the real problem, then it's nothing. It's, it's, it's you get paid, they get a crappy website that looks great, and you're the only one who's happy. <laughs> yeah, I think that's great. So when you have these these client interviews, I think that's a great term. And if you if you if you're listening and you haven't picked up the book, uh, it's available at Nusi. Is that right? Yeah, Nusi. dot com. And actually, if you just scroll down to the footer area, there's there's a section down there, resources, and it's called uh, Surviving Client Interviews. And basically, yeah. we'll just give you all the questions and all the uh, the sort of methods and techniques that you can use to to get the most information and to and to begin to build a relationship as well with clients before you even step into a proposal which is which is paramount and so we're you're really talking i feel like about two sections the problem and then also an outcome mm-hmm. right because the problem might be our website sucks but the real outcome is I want to get my wife off my back. I want to get more signups. My business partner told me we have a new competitor, right? And their website looks better. And so we have fear that we're going to fall behind. Whatever it is, the outcome section, that can be really hard to, to predict though, right? Or to, to state. And I, I see a lot of people hesitant to talk about outcomes. Tell us about like what should be in the outcome section and how, how confident should we be that we can achieve these outcomes? Well, I th- you cannot you cannot approach the outcome section until you have this information because, like you said, so I need a website designed. For example, it's because trial signups have dropped over the last twelve months, and we're now we're now about to go bust. Until you actually look into that and see, well, okay, so trial signups have dropped. There are many ways you could increase trial signups, and that doesn't necessarily mean redesigning your website. Mm-hmm. It could be as simple as fixing that bug that you have across all of your IE browsers, which account for 60% of your known customers because they are in information technology. They work in a certain section like education, perhaps, and they all generally tend to use Windows and older versions of IE. There's Maybe so much inf- the, it doesn't w- work on mobile, right? Exactly. There is so much stuff you need to know before you can even begin to think about the outcomes. And if you really want to be successful and nail... My my closing rate on proposals before I stopped being a freelancer was 90%. And that's not because I'm a really clever guy. And that's not because I'm a wordsmith. And it's not because I'm a kick-ass designer. It's because I worked behind the scenes before I even got to the proposal. And some people say, oh, well, I don't have that time. I can't invest that up that time up front to win lots of business. When you put it like that, it sounds absurd. How- <laughs> How can you not? How can you not? I don't, I don't have time to be successful. I only have time to fail. Exactly. Hmm. Exactly. It's, um, you know, there are two things in life, cheap and expensive, you know, and not everyone can afford to be cheap. Invest a little up front to get a lot back. That's the way I look at it. It's, it's um, yeah. yeah, for me, the, there's no other option. I understand that there are businesses out there that literally just do throw proposals out the door as soon as the potential lead comes in. They will take a template. Sure, at Nusi we provide templates, but I always encourage you 
to really make that proposal as personal as possible because the customer is going to know that. They're going to know oh, if yeah. you've researched their business. They're going to know if they've spoken to you for starters. You know, that's that's a pretty good indicator. So I think I think that's great. And first of all, that's a wonderful close rate. Um, but I really like what you said you, you don't attribute it to because I used to get so caught up in the magic words or the perfect design. In fact, we would, this is embarrassing to say, but sometimes we would get, we would meet a client and if my designer, who was also my business partner, was really excited about it. One time it was electric motorcycles and he was a motorbike guy. He went out and spent two days shoot, doing a whole photo shoot of his bike, himself on a bike, other people on bike. Like he did a custom photo shoot. He put together this intricate book. The proposal was like a book with aspirational, beautiful images. Yeah. It was amazing. Ask me if they even, <laughs> even returned the email. No, no, they literally did not even write us back and say thanks, but no thanks. I got to be honest, he was crushed. And I, then yeah, I bet he was. And then that actually turned into resentment and anger. Like, who are those jerks to throw away and discount all of our hard work, blah, blah, blah. But why um, do you think they discounted all that hard work, considering that you you essentially sent off a, a catalog-style proposal that could have been, you know, designed by... Why do you think that was discounted? Why... Well, I, I don't know exactly because they gave us no feedback, but- Oh, so what I did, nothing came back? Nothing. What I do know is that beautiful custom photography, a fantastic layout, a tremendous amount of visual design did not work. And having the copywriter agonize over the perfect aspirational phrasing for a whole week did not work. So- it must have been something else that was missing. Maybe, again, maybe we didn't connect on what their purpose was. Maybe our price was way out of their budget because we'd never checked. Something you didn't else ask for a budget. didn't work. Okay, I didn't say Let's I was good on this. all Let's the time. Let's jump to this. This is, on, this is on my list. Never, ever, right. ever, 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 ever send a proposal if you don't have the client's budget. But hold it, Nathan. Clients don't want to tell you. Like, if you're going to, you ever go buy a car and the car salesman says, well, how much money you got today? You know, <laughs> you're going to say, no, you show me the cars. That's true. That's true. But I would never. Okay, but, but we can get around that, right? Because yeah. wh how do we get that budget? What, do, what words do we use? Well, I think, well, let's go back to the car sales analogy. Uh, you know, people do tend to think of us as, car salesman anyway so <laughs> they do let's uh we got a pretty bad reputation is you know if you are presenting those cars and you are you know you're showing the highly expensive suv you know which is sort of eighty thousand dollars or whatever the case might be uh, or in my case euros and then you sort of then you jump down to the small compact and say no no at either end you say well you know what are you looking what are you looking to use this car for is it going to be for family holidays is it going to be for hunting on the weekends if you hunt i don't know why i said that i have no idea you know is it gonna is it gonna be for, you know there are so many things you could use it for and yeah. and around that form and function is going to give you a certain price bracket it's inevitable and so you can move forward from there no nobody likes giving their budget but if you want to run a serious business and if you want you don't want to be spending three or four days investigating a potential client, writing a proposal, sending it off, 
and then finding out you were way off target. And then in fact, actual fact, it was never even an option. Why would you want to do that? No, get the uncomfortable question out of, out of the way. Maybe it doesn't have to be on the first conversation you have with them. Maybe not even on the second, but asking what kind of budget they have set aside for this project or for this type of project, whether it's their marketing for the year, whether it's for, you know, whatever, yeah. might, whatever that might be is essential for you being able to move forward. I completely agree. I, in fact, I wanted to, I, I really, I've done this trick that you just mentioned, and that is um, stop thinking about it like it's a personal budget and ask how much is your marketing, you know, what is your digital marketing budget for 2018? Or you might even ask, how much did you spend on your last website? For example, when I go buy a car, it seems like the car salesman always asks me, well, what are you driving these days? That's a way to find out how much people spend and have spent on the past, mm -hmm. right? If I come in and I say like the time, I one time I had an Audi Q7. What a beautiful car. I just want to say I love that car. That's a big car. But if I told if I told the car salesman that, he would immediately <laughs> take me over to the BMWs, right? Um, but but you can ask, you know, what is your budget range? How much do you have budgeted for this initiative? As well as the other side of the ROI equation, how much is this going to make you? What would uh, what would doubling your sign up rate mean for your business, right? Um, because the other side of investment is return, and too often we sort of ignore that. But if you know the return is a hundred thousand dollars a year, spending ten thousand dollars to get that, that's a very minimal investment. Exactly, and I think again that's so closely tied with the the client interviews or customer research or however you want to term it, knowing that. If you can, you know, if increasing trial signups is the issue, if you can increase it by 15% over the next six months, then that will make them X number of dollars. You can tie that in so closely with how much value you can provide and therefore in the budgetary uh, demands and, you, and your needs from that. You know, so often, obviously, people are uncomfortable. Not everyone. In fact, I've, I've spoken to many clients who've said, yeah, I can spend, you know, around, and that's fine. And I, I always appreciate those clients. But sometimes they will push back and they say, well, I don't know. I, I would all, my go-to uh, sort of way of phrasing it was always, you know, is it between? And I'd say, you mm -hmm. know, are you looking to spend between uh, five and 10,000, 10 and 20,000, you know, 20 to 30 or, or, or above? And I found that people tend to be far more comfortable in, in giving a range than giving a, a precise number. Because I think, yeah. you know, we're always scared that people are going to max out any any budget we give. And even if we give a range, of course, we can still do that, but it's more comfortable for them. I think to be able right. to say, because sometimes they, sometimes, and this sounds bizarre, that they almost might feel inadequate that they say, "Oh, well, I've only got, no. I've, I've only got, you know, five thousand or ten thousand to spend." Or well, and I think the other thing is, you, you really hit on it there, with the idea that um, comfortability. They are taking a risk. Everybody knows in negotiation, it's foolish to tell someone how much money you have, right? So it is the beginning of an honest relationship to take a small risk. Now, another thing that we used to do um, is, for example, sometimes I would go first when it came to money. I would say, I have to be honest, our minimum project size for a marketing website is $30,000. And the minimum size for a mobile app price-wise is $50,000. And I'm telling you that so that we can start to have honest conversations so that we understand if this is a good fit to work together. How much did you have 
budgeted. So that was one approach is to know your own minimums mm -hmm. and to be the first one to talk about money as sort of putting in there the, the baseline. Now, if, if you have a client that's used to spending a million dollars on a website, that 30, that hearing that your minimums are so much lower than what they were going to spend might position you like the uh, Kia, it, not the Mercedes. Yeah. But if you're really struggling to get any sense of budget, at least know your own minimums. Yeah. Uh, I think that's important. Yeah. So I, so budget for me is, is a big no-no. If you don't know the budget, don't even bother sending the proposal. Tied to that, I keep getting the message saying, my internet connection is unstable. I hope it's- I hope Mine it, too. I hope it's okay. So- me too. But something very closely connected to that and something that I I never used to do in the old days, I used to send out my proposals like they were quotes. You know, I would list my my my, my services, associated costs, and I would just hope for the best. You know, like a Chinese menu, you know, just just mm -hmm. work your way down. Da, 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 da. Don't want this. Don't need the UX. Don't need the research and development. I'll just have the final design and three and three versions. That will cost me $10,000. That was a terrible way of doing things. We can go into that at another point, or you can read any one of our numerous blog posts on that. I realized, I came to realize over the years that what we termed price price packaging, you know, giving your customers options by saying, you know, I can give you all of this for a price, which would involve include everything you need to move your business forward with everything we spoke about. I can give you another package, which involves everything from that previous one, but with some incredibly valuable add-ons in fact that may have been mentioned may have you know i may have um through conversations we had that occurred to me that if we did this as well we could actually increase your roi even further perhaps a third one would involve all that would just go out and out and do everything would even make their tea for them in the morning and of course and of course all of these would be increasing in price and they could select one or the other but to take that back to the to the budget question the reason why it's imperative that you know that is that that first option the cheapest or most economical option would always fall within their budgetary, budgetary needs. So if their budget was 20 grand, that first solution, which would get everything done they needed to be done, would fall within that budget. Then those further pricing options, more than likely, would fall outside of that. But it would generate more value. It would give them a higher return on investment. And maybe if you've never done this before, you think, well, why would I do that? They've already given me their budget. Oftentimes, it doesn't occur to a client other areas where they can improve their business based on those conversations they've had with you, the expert, the person who knows all about how to improve their business through one skill or another. To be honest, nearly every time I use pricing packaging, they have never gone for the the cheapest package because they've seen the value. Do they go to the middle a lot? I've heard that the pricing psychology, the middle is the most popular one. Have you Have you found that? For me, it was true. For me, it was true that they would generally tend to go to the middle. And I don't know if that is purely, you know, I've seen the reports and the studies and you see it on pricing pages, you know, with SaaS and everything you could ever imagine that they say, yes, you know, it leans towards the middle and blah, blah, blah. For me, it was true, but it definitely works. And it's definitely something I would recommend. If you're only listing your prices out as a list of services with an associated cost, stop it. <laughs> no, I, I agree. Um, and, and, uh, you know, in fact, I've actually talked to clients who have said, not not my clients, but as I'm talking with business owners and they want to raise their their prices, one thing that I've suggested they do is they they put in a much larger ceiling, like your your I'll make your tea in the morning price gets much higher and everything else can move up a little bit when it comes to packaging. But again, it's kind of to apply pressure to that middle. I don't want to be 
I don't want, you know, I don't want to live in a trailer, but I also can't live in a mansion. So I'll take a regular house with a few upgrades. Completely. And I think that idea of packaging. Uh, now, at the end of the day, of course, you have to make sure you can deliver what you're promising for the amount of money that they have, or you have to be direct and honest enough to say, I just don't think in your budget, I can help you. If that's the case, I feel like you have an ethical obligation not to try, not to hope, and also not to give away the farm, right? Not to make your business less profitable, but, but simply to say, I don't think we can come to a point where we both are benefiting and excited about this and you need an outcome and so do I. And so if that's, if that's not going to work, like don't even send the proposal. What, what do you do if you're not going to send a proposal, Nathan? Do you have any ideas there? How do you mean if you're not? If, if the budget simply isn't up to, to, your, to your needs, I would. Right. If I had invested minimal time with the client, like I literally found out in the first meeting that their budgets weren't going to match mine, then I would just say, you know, I'm sorry, but I, I don't work below X. You know, this, this wouldn't fall within you know, the project needs. Um and I would probably, I would probably try and pass them on. You know, generally we know people who work right. in varying price points within an industry. So usually I would write them an email afterwards saying, you know, sorry that you know it wouldn't work, it couldn't work out. But you know, here's a here's a personal recommendation. And I would always try them pass the, pass them along if I if I could. Yeah, I I used to cultivate a network. Um, of peop- of companies that were smaller or individuals that were freelance who were just starting who were cheaper because I felt if I couldn't help them with delivering a solution maybe I can actually be helpful by referring them to someone who they can trust mm-hmm. rather than just them going back to looking in Google again and trying to figure out and by the way just like you said just like car salesmen you're probably working against a bad reputation. Freelancers, web developers, we do not have a great reputation for service, consistency, and providing value. Uh, we do have a reputation for taking people's money and then disappearing in their mind. So make sure you don't do that. I think, yeah. And again, to, to really nail it, you know, sort of, it's why that that initial sort of client relationship is so important because if you can establish some kind of relationship you won't just be another name or another logo hitting their inbox they'll be expecting your proposal you know instead of just being the traditional 20 rfps or 20 sales proposals hitting their inbox from you know maybe maybe they put an announcement up on one of these dribble job boards or you know whatever the case might be they could be inundated and usually the, the us having a bad name can actually work to the benefit of people who take their business seriously because the bar has been set incredibly low. You only have to step up just that little bit <laughs> That's, to really get noticed. Exactly. In fact, uh, okay, so I'm going to tell, uh, uh, and maybe as we kind of wrap up here on this episode, um, I want to tell this final story. For the last 15 years, I have bought maybe longer. I have bought every car from the same individual, from the same (laughs) car salesman. And it was because I found a car salesman who started, just like Nathan said, with asking, well, what are you going to do with this car? And how many kids do you have? 
any big changes coming up in life? You know, you're going to get grandkids. You have any kids leaving? Uh, because people keep cars five to seven years, right? Um, and, and he just got to know us in even a really basic way. Uh, and then he was very knowledgeable about the product, which later I talked to him and I said, why are you such a good salesman? He's like, because I try and fit the person to the vehicle. And if it's not a good fit, because I don't actually come down on price. I, I, I might come down a couple of hundred dollars, but the reality is, is for the right person, uh, a brand new Honda is a wonderful value. And so my goal is to find the right people and then to help the other people. He says, I'll, I'll refer them to other salesmen I know who are good that work at used car lots if a used car is a better fit for yeah. them. And what happens is when they're in the market for a new car, they come back and they say, oh, Marcus, we, you know, or, or the guy's name is David. He's like, oh, you know, we've been saving up our pennies. We want to buy a new car and we want to buy it from you because we so trust you, uh, even in our brief interactions. Hard to imagine, but this guy, and I feel really good every time I talk to him because he has talked us out of bigger purchases into the kind of purchase that he felt and, and we agreed would be a really good fit for our family. That's awesome. Show interest, learn as much as you can about the client before you even put pen to paper. Do not send a proposal, just willy-nilly get that budget, find out the real problem behind the problem, behind the problem, behind the problem. And then you can begin to think about outcomes, solutions, and how you can help move that business forward. Oh, and offer price options. Don't just list the <laughs> don't just list out that price and hope for the best, because all they see then is just a list of technical capabilities and products and nah. Yep. I think we've got a lot more to talk about on this topic. What do you say we we pick up again next week and we kind of elaborate? Because I think there's still other sections of the proposal that we need to cover. Oh yeah, there is so much stuff you could cover here. So much stuff. So much stuff. Let, let, let's do that. Yeah. So we'll 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 call it a day now and then we'll come back next week and and pick it up again. All right. Well great. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, Nathan, where can people find us? Well if you're listening to the podcast, <laughs> if you're listening to the podcast, probably the best place is if you want to, here's an idea. We, lately, we've been getting more and more listener questions, listener emails, and we're, beginning, we're going to begin to work our way through those over the coming weeks as well. And so if, if there's something you would like to discuss, we've got a few more this week as well. So we're going to start queuing them up. If there's something you'd like us to, to discuss or talk about on the show, then drop us a line to podcast at the creative business podcast.com or you can either contact Marcus directly on marcusblankenship.com or you can find me on nusi.com anything you'd like to talk discuss about then we'd be only only too happy to to hear we're gonna have to think about what we're gonna do now with the videos with creating a channel what we're gonna do with them but for now if you listen to the podcast that's good enough we'll let you know about the videos <laughs> sounds great right. thank you have a wonderful day have a great weekend everyone bye-bye